you. So, we're going to look first of all at the, the provision of God in creation. So, in creation, we see that God is a very generous God. He gives Adam and Eve every tree in the garden for food, apart from just one tree. Now, I was thinking about that this week. Uh, in our family, we play the fruit game. We've got to try and name all different fruits. But I looked up the number of fruits that come from trees. Here is just a few of them. Okay, so for Adam and Eve, this is what included. Apples, apricots, uh, cherries, oranges, lemons, limes, damsons, grapefruits, figs, elderberries, mangoes, guava, lychee, peaches, nectarine, quince, whatever that is, uh, jackfruit, plums, pears, starfruit, ugly fruit, and then there's all the things you don't think about as being actually fruit that is fruit. Avocado, um, starfruit, uh, cashews, coconuts, olives, pecans, chestnuts, walnuts, plus a few dozen other ones that I've never heard of, so I didn't think you'd have heard of them either. Um, whether they're all there in the garden, we don't know. But God certainly put them in the world, didn't he? And the potential for so much more from just those fruits that were there. So think about oranges. From oranges you get zatzumas, clementines, tangerines, blood oranges, mandarins, plus over a hundred varieties that, again, I think you'll never have heard of. Uh, but if you look online, you'll find there's all sorts of different, even just oranges, there's all these amazing varieties. So in creation, we see a God who rejoices in variety, and yet a God who orders all things well. If you think about it, God, in a way, is a bit like an artist and an engineer all rolled into one. I mean, think about food in general, food that we eat. Uh, it's fuel that tastes good, especially if you uh, are eating some of the things that we're eating for uh, our fellowship lunch. Uh, every, I mean, did you, did you try the qu- uh, quinoa salad? It's like Steve or every time, it's like a new skill. Uh, <laughs> but it's amazing, it's fuel that tastes good. Could you imagine what it would be like if we ran on petrol? That you had to sort of ingest petrol. But we don't, what, what did God make us to run on? We run on steak, or ice cream, or salmon, or pizza. How kind is God in his provision to us? Or think about something as basic as water that we enjoy. I was reading a book last week that mentioned this. Water is essential for life. We need water to drink. The plants need it to grow so we can eat them. The animals need it to drink. The fish need it to swim. We need it for hygiene, to bathe, to brush our teeth, to swim in, to play with, to wash with, to get rid of waste. Water is essential for life. So what does God do? He engineers a world where what's essential for life literally falls from the sky. Think about that the next time it rains. You probably won't have to wait very long, will you? But what's what's falling from the sky isn't sulfuric acid. It's not liquid chlorine. It's water. H2O. God provides the exact thing that we need by pouring it from the sky. And it's so mundane that we forget, don't we, that this is how we live. It's only when it doesn't happen that we realise how essential it is. So God provides for us in creation. He gives us the very food that we need, the very air that we breathe, the very water that we drink. All that we have, we have from our very generous God. 
And it's this fact in Genesis that the devil wants Eve to disbelieve. So looking down to Genesis 3 verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you may not eat of any tree in the garden? He tries to put it in Eve's mind, doesn't he, that God is being stingy. Even from what we've just seen, nothing could be further from the truth, could it? So we must not believe the devil's lie. God is not holding out on us. He has given us many, many, many wonderful things to enjoy in our world. From food to fashion, from humour to hummus. What God wants from us is thankfulness. Which if we remember that it's all from God, we will be, won't we? We'll be thankful for what God has given us. So I'm going to give us a few moments now uh, between us to thank God for his wonderful provision of our wonderful world. Um, so this could be uh, a chance to pray, or you could read a verse that thinks about God's provision in creation. And then we'll carry on thinking afterwards about the God who provides. I'll, I'll try and pause the recorder. So next, we're going to think about the, God, uh, the provision of God in providence. So can someone read to us Genesis 24, verses 10 to 15? Genesis 24, 10 to 15. Brilliant, thank you. So, this is the story of how Abraham finds a wife for his son Isaac. And it's a bit further on from the story where we were looking at this morning. But you notice nowhere there do we read the words, And God sent forth Rebekah to be Isaac's wife. Nor do we read, And God chose Rebekah to be Isaac's wife. <coughs> what actually happens is that God's provision of a wife for Isaac comes through providence. Now, originally, I wasn't going to have a, a, a section on this. That would make it a nice three-point sermon. But you've already had a three-point sermon. No, you've only four points this morning as well. Oh, well. Um, but providence is God's ordering of events and our lives in the smallest of details. And it's been so true, uh, in, in, it's so true in our lives. It's been true in my week. But I thought we need to have a section on this uh, this week. It's those chance encounters, if you like. Things that are not going to my plan, only to find out there was a different plan. And it's so true in Genesis. God works often behind the scenes, doesn't he? Not with a big flourish of flashing signs in the sky, but with a quiet ordering of events. It just so happened that this happened. Or think about Joseph's life later on in Genesis. It just so happened that some Ishmaelites passed by, so they sold Joseph rather than killed him. Or it just so happened that he was thrown into prison at the same time that the cupbearer to Pharaoh was there. It just so happened that his brothers came down to Egypt to find food. God is ordering the events behind the scenes for our good. God is kind to us a million times a day in the way he orders our lives and the things that happen to us. The things that happen to us might not always seem like kindnesses, but we are assured through the eyes of faith that they are. So Romans 8:28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. God provides us with everything that we need to be made more like Jesus. Where there is need of compassion, he sends us things that stir our hearts. 
where there's need of correction, he sends us things that will break our stubborn wills. Where there is need of comfort, he sends us sympathetic ears to hear us and open arms to embrace us. God provides for us, okay? God provides for us in providence. Providence, you see? Looking for God's action in things. That's a perfect example, there you go. Um, needed an illustration, it was there. Um, things may not come with a made in heaven stamp on them as they happen in our lives. It may not strike us as supernatural. But our supernatural God is the God of the natural as well. Which means that even the natural is supernatural because it is directed by a supernatural God. We see this ultimately, don't we, in the way that he ordered history to lead us to the cross and the way he ordered our histories as individuals to lead us to the cross. God provides for us in providence. So we're going to take some time to thank God for that now. Or like I say, just after prayers, we can have readings or... Uh, if you've got thought to share, you might want to share a time when you've known God's providence this week. Uh, anything like that. I'll just leave us a few minutes to do that now. Brilliant. So, this is an incident in Genesis, in between the woman that we looked at this morning and the passage that we've just looked at before. The Lord has asked Abraham to offer up Isaac. How could God do this, if you think about how much God had promised this son? Well, in... in one sense, Isaac is as much God's as he is Abraham's, isn't he? Either by spoken decree or by eternal decree, it's up to God when Isaac's life ends. So he asks Isaac to offer up his son, whom he loves, as a sacrifice. But right at the last minute, God tells him to stop, and Abraham lifts up his eyes and sees a ram caught in the thicket. And so a male sheep becomes a substitute for Isaac. God has provided his own sacrifice. And Abraham understands this. He names the mountain Yahweh Yareh. Jehovah Jireh is what he's being uh, the uh, King James. The Lord provides. And as it says, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Abraham has said as much actually in verse 8 to Isaac. When Isaac says, you know, where's the sacrifice? He says the Lord will provide a sacrifice. Though at the time you don't know whether he's trying to dodge the question as uh, to so whether uh, actually, you know, where is the sacrifice, Dad? Well, <laughs> but uh, the matter of the fact, the matter of fact is that God does provide the sacrifice for Himself. God provides redemption, provides salvation <coughs> Himself. The whole point is that because of God's sacrifice, there's no need for Isaac to die, and that's true for us too, isn't it? God has provided for us in redemption. He has provided the sacrifice required. He has provided all that we need. Even the very faith that we have in God, we're told in Ephesians, is a gift from God. Even the repentance that we have towards God is granted to us, it tells us in Acts. God has provided everything we need for salvation in Christ. It was all purchased for us by the work of Christ on the cross. That does not mean that we don't need to have faith. It doesn't mean that we don't need to turn to God in repentance. We do. You think of it like this way, though. If it were a sinking ship that we were on, it would be like God gives us the life jacket. He gives us the buoyancy aid. And then he carries us to the lifeboat. So much does God care for us. You do need to be on the lifeboat to be saved. But God gets us there. He's the provider of salvation from beginning to end. So that means that we cannot boast in those things, like we produce them ourselves. Instead, again, it leads to a profound gratitude, a thankfulness 
to God who provides us with all that we need for rescue. And we'll have a section now where again we can pray or we can share or we can read. We'll do that together. So for this last section we're going to try and tie uh, all those threads together and we're going to talk about God's provision for us in Christ. In him all these things come together. If you think about it, he's the provision of what we need. That's why he's pictured as bread in the New Testament. He's what we need for daily sustenance. John Newton likes to picture Jesus. Was it just John Newton was singing, wasn't it? Yeah, perfectly picked. Um, <laughs> John Newton um, used to uh, like to picture Jesus as the son who gives life to all and yet is not exhausted in so doing, if you think about it. In fact, the son provides far more abundantly the light and heat that we need, more than we could ever need. Again, you get this idea of a humongously generous God, more generous than we could ever comprehend or understand his provision to us in Christ. And Christ is God's provision in providence. He acted in real history to bring about his purposes. He acted in our history to bring us to himself. God has been at work since before we were born to bring us to himself, to bring us to Christ. While we were far away from God, God was not far away from us. He was working out his plan in our lives in a million details, in a way that our minds again could never really comprehend. And Christ is God's provision in redemption. He is the lamb that was slain. He is the substitute sacrifice that we need. Did you know a city is built near Mount Moriah? It was already there in Abraham's day. It was called Salem then. It's called Jerusalem now. And it's where our Lord Jesus died, as it is written, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. That mountain was Calvary, the hill where the Lord Jesus died. So Christ is God's provision for us. As we share bread and wine in a few moments, it's a reminder of that. Just as it was no mistake this morning that circumcision was a sign of the seed to come, so it's no mistake that bread and wine are the signs that he left us to remember him by. It is bread to remind us of his broken body. It is wine to remind us of his blood that was shed for us. It's one bread to remind us that we all share in one body. It is food to remind us that he sustains us daily. Because we don't really watch these things happen, do we? We don't really watch the bread being broken. We participate. What we eat is, uh, what, what we do is not merely a visual sermon, it's an edible sermon, if you like. As we trust in Christ, Christ becomes part of us, and we part of him. We are in him, and he is in us. And this is something far more tangible than just watching a loaf being broken. We participate in this together. We participate in Christ. And as we take this bread and this cup, our hearts should reflect that thankfulness for Christ, that we have thankfulness for food earlier on. God has provided him for us, and that is part of our response to him, to be thankful. It's a reminder that God generously offers Christ to us. He's not being stingy. Actually, he offers us his very son. All that we need to do is take and eat. So this is a meal that reminds us of the generosity of God in Christ. That we, though mired in sin, may reach forth and take Christ. That we take hold of that forgiveness he offers freely. 
So, this meal that we'll share is a meal for sinners. If you think you're sinless here this afternoon, if you think you have no need of Christ, then please don't join in. If, however, you know that you're a sinner, can I remind you that the group on Wednesday we've been seeing that Christ welcomes sinners and eats with them. And that's what we're going to do now. The bread that we eat is just bread. The wine that we drink, well, actually it's just grape juice. But with the eyes of faith, Christ offers himself to us anew today. It's not a repeat of his sacrifice, but an invitation to benefit from it. So, if we do have sins that need confessing to God, can I invite us just to take a moment now to do that? And then we'll sing together and we'll share together. So just take a moment now to talk to God and confess your sins before him. <laughs> 